And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here joined by a special guest. This is a fun episode. I, I've actually been really looking forward to this only because it feels like I've been waiting for this guy to join our team forever. You know, when the mixologist, Andrew Tursky, decided to leave me high and dry, I tried to cobble together a list of guys that I really wanted to hire. And I figured the guy at the top was probably unattainable. He's been somebody that I've been following for a while, admires work. And somehow, some way, we made this happen. Ryan Barath, the newest member of Golf Magazine and Golf.com. What is going on, RB? Jonathan, how are you? That that was uh, that was quite the introduction there. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited to be here and excited to to record our first show. Yeah, I I am extremely excited. If only because one of the the holes that I've always felt like we've had in our coverage, and thankfully we've had guys like Tim Brion and Chris McCormick to help fill that void. Both of them experts in the fitting space, but they're on the true spec side. We've never really had a guy with fitting chops on the writing side. And I've always believed that you should surround yourself with people far smarter than you are. And you are certainly that. But I'm, I'm going to guess that if you're listening to this podcast, you already know Ryan. He comes to us from TXG before that, Golf WRX. So I want to do a little Q&A, Arby. Just, just so people maybe that they don't know you get get to know you a little bit more. Why don't you take me back? When when did you first get into the golf industry? Because I know you've been doing this for a while now. Wow, uh, I mean, I could go back a long way, but uh, my my first foray into the golf industry, if you want to call it the industry at the time, would have been uh, washing carts as a kid. We want to go all the way <laughs> back in the time machine. Did the uh, same like a thing. Lot of people like, yeah, I got I got involved in you know working back shop as a, as kind of the first gig in golf, and. I was always fascinated with equipment. Basically, the the idea of you know I, I used to like still skateboard, like ride my like longboard and cruise around with my little kids on their bike and stuff like that. But uh, the idea of changing something to to create performance benefit was something that I, I really grabbed onto quickly when it came to golf. Whether it be changing grips or even understanding at the time, oh, you can actually change shafts in these things. I just thought you could go out; they just come together, and that that was kind of the end all be all. But quickly got into club making from the back shop side, just understanding repairs. And then from there, when I went to school, I, like a lot of people, started in big box retail. Frontline, talking to people, helping educate golfers and consumers when they come in, asking why different equipment was the way it was for you know any sort of player. And then from there... I've done a whole bunch of things. I've worked for OEMs in the past, uh, always in like usually summer contract work. We know a lot of those those gigs as tech reps are are seasonal, especially here in Canada, which I'm you know still happily located. Uh, so you know our season is very much seasonal. So because of that, I, I worked for a number of, of different OEMs, and from there, actually uh, worked for I would say one of the first upstart custom like large scale custom fitting studios in Toronto about a decade ago and I ran their build shop. So as someone who was trained in club building and club fitting, and I was the youngest person to ever go through the golf Smith, which is now defunct, but the golf Smith club building program, it was me and a bunch of like retirees when I was like, I think 17 or 18 going through that. And you know, those were week long intensive programs. Like you were doing it every day, working on a vector launch monitor. If anyone even remembers, maybe this is showing my age at this point, but that led to just being always being involved in golf. And from there, as you mentioned, the the experience working at, and building golf clubs and fitting golf clubs for that period of time uh, led me to an opportunity at Golf WRX where I took on a role as a, as a writer. I started when I was working for OEMs, just doing kind of guest spots, just offering up just kind of some cool things that I could you know, talk about because they didn't really cover a lot of club building things. And I thought there was a lot of misinformation about there. Uh, and then from there, uh, TXG came along. I you know I did a couple like odd things in there and some different industries, but uh, TXG came along. A lot of people are familiar with their YouTube page, and I worked in the background with their social media and uh, some of the final production stuff. I was not a camera guy. That we did very competent people that we worked with who were great. But uh, from there, no, now I'm here. You got you reached out, and you know, 
the I've known you for a long time, you know, kind of through the industry and meeting at events and launch events and all kinds of things like of that nature. So, you know, now I'm here and, and that's, that's kind of the whole story right there. Yeah. I'm sure, as you mentioned, uh, you know, TXG has grown a lot in the last, especially in the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's got a very rapid following. Ian Fraser does an awesome job. And, and I will be one of the first to say, I, you know, whenever, whenever Ian comes out with a video, I'm, I'm one of the ones who's taking a look to try and see what he thinks about new product, but you've been in those videos too. And again, because of that rise, I'm sure people are probably wondering like, why, why are you leaving TXG to come to golf? So what, what were some of the reasons why you wanted to make the jump over here? No, I'm, I'm always very hugely thankful to the team at TXG and Ian, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but you know, the place that I, I used to work with a decade ago was something that Ian founded with uh, some other people in the industry and, you know, obviously moved on to TXG, but uh, I've known Ian for a decade. So when the opportunity came to, to work with him there, I jumped at the chance because I wanted to get more into video. I was always doing a lot of writing, uh, not so much a lot of photography because it was just something that it kind of did just, you know, you know, he sees pictures online or social media, that kind of stuff, nothing really serious, but the idea of education and, you know, TXG is a great thing going on. They've got fitting studios opening up and, you know, the YouTube channel, which again, a lot of people are probably familiar with, but for me, the idea of getting back to writing uh, and talking about equipment, the way I like to talk about equipment. Right. And, and for me, I think education always something where I find it the most, the most fascinating part of, of golf and golf equipment, because there's the swing side of things. There is all kinds of elements of understanding how that works, how the swing works, how, you know, how, why the golf ball does what it does. But when it comes to equipment, a lot of people, like a lot of regular golfers, even great players are, are still like very, very misinformed about what's the difference between steel and graphite? What, what loft driver should I be using? Why is a premium golf ball better for me, even if I'm a higher handicapper because of, you know, short game spin and control and all of these different things that it's about education. It's always about education. And for me, the idea of being able to do it as, you know, touching on earlier, being a kid who worked in a golf store and, and that golf store used to sell golf magazine and to think that, Hey, you can be a part of that now. And I was like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty hard opportunity to say no to. And, and when you reached out and, and, you know, kind of, we started talking about this opportunity, I was, kind of beyond floored and very excited and, you know, be able to be able to continue to help educate golfers is something that I wanted to keep doing. Yeah. And one of the things I will say that, that for those who, who haven't listened, Ryan did a podcast with TXG, uh, who haven't read his work and, and seen the videos that he's put out. One of the things that I appreciate the most about your content RV is the fact that you consistently deliver the, the insights and that education in a way that golfers can understand. You know, we're, we're talking about a space where, you know, maybe a golfer who's listening to this podcast, maybe they just came into the game during the pandemic. Maybe they're, maybe they're a longtime golfer that really hasn't paid a lot of attention to their gear and they, they're hearing new terms. And sometimes it feels like when we discuss some of those terms, like we're talking over a golfer's head, but I always appreciate the fact that you, you, deliver it in a way where, where whether you're a single digit or a 20, you're going to be able to get the gist of it, which brings me to a little bit of a rapid fire here. What is the biggest misconception in your opinion when it comes to club fitting? That you're not good enough. It's, it's the one that always comes up. It's the question that always happens to come up. Uh, probably you'll, you'll probably learn it in very short notice. A person that I reference all the time, is my dad because my my dad got me into like teach, showed me how to regrip golf clubs and that basically started this whole infatuation in the first place. But he's a regular golfer. He is like a say sixteen to to twenty handicap. He doesn't really keep one. He just plays in his, his weekly league, and he plays with a lot of golfers that ask a lot of questions. And I always think of that's in a way he's like my focus group because now he is the filter for a lot of his friends' questions when things come in like that. And it's like you know, am I good enough to get fit and a perfect example is like when I, and I use my dad as an example, and I think he, he exemplifies a lot of, you know, 15 to 20 handicapped golfers is his golf swing is extremely consistent. His delivery to the golf ball is extremely consistent. It's just 
you know, where that face is pointed and, you know, is he aiming at the same place every time? It's, it's the inconsistencies there, which cause a lot of problems for a lot of golfers. And because of those consistencies, that's what fitters are actually looking for, right? If you think of anything that you do, your drive to work, right? You probably make the same right-hand turn all like all the time trying to pull into a parking lot or whatever it happens to be. You probably without even thinking about it, do the same hand motion over and over again. You've just created this motor pattern of, of whatever it happens to be. And the golf swing is no different. And so as a lot of people know, having to do that is changing the golf swing, changing your golf swing is, is can be very difficult. So those patterns are always the same, whether you're, uh, say a scratch golfer or 20 handicap, just the single digit happens to do it a bit more often as far as the consistency and distance control and all those other things. So when people ask, am I good enough to get fit? Of course you're good enough to get fit because again, using him as the example, he finally got fit for irons about five years ago. He hasn't changed and hasn't even messed about with them plays less golf now than he ever did. And he plays better golf than he ever has since he finally went through that process of, of really getting fit. And I think that's the thing that people don't realize is when you go through that fitting process, you're going to notice a consistency in your game. We've discussed this next topic on the pod before, but I want to get your take. What's more important shaft or club head club head. I, I believe that the club head is, is the, it's the thing that strikes the golf ball. It's the thing that interacts with the ground. Um, you know, as, as I've, we always used to joke at TXG cause the question comes up. I do Q and A's on, on Instagram. Uh, people might be familiar with some of the stuff that I do over there. Some of my favorite things you do. Yeah. So with shafts don't spin, a, a golf shaft does not make the golf ball spin. The, the golf ball spins because of the dynamics delivered through the club head to the ball. Right. And so because of that, the, you know, the old, adage when you were, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the shaft is the engine of the golf, but that's, it's false. It doesn't, it, it isn't, it, it's a timing device to make sure the head is working properly. It's the, the club is the engine and, you know, everything else is just, you know, trying to put together the rest of the car that just kind of makes it work. So the, it be having that timing device be the shaft. What you're doing is, is you're helping that thing, you know, helping that golfer with feel and length and weight and all these other elements. But if the, the line goal is incorrect and you don't have the right loft on whatever hap, whatever club it happens to be, it doesn't matter what shafts in it. It's not going to work. You guys tested a lot of gear at TXG. So I know you've seen a lot of the, the current stuff that's on the marketplace. What's the one club that you all tested that really surprised you? Uh, the, I would say that it's it's been a series of clubs over the last number of years. The one thing that, you know, we, we talk a lot about drivers. Drivers is the, the sexy golf club. It's the one that gets a lot of the attention. But the one thing that I think goes and flies way under the radar still, because people see the price tag of these things relative to drivers or relative to clubs in this category, say five to 10 years ago, it's like, why are they so much more expensive? And I would say what TaylorMade has done with their fairywoods in, uh, in their last like three iterations. So Sim Titanium, Sim 2, and now Stealth Titanium, or the I guess it's the plus model they are so incredibly forgiving and low spin that you can get driver numbers. And I think that's why you see players like say Dustin Johnson, for example, they're not using three woods anymore. They're using forwards to create spin because they want to be able to hit the golf ball higher. I mean, I think DJ had a nine wood in the bag a couple of weeks ago. Like if you, if you think about what that means from delivery of the golf club, being able to launch it high and, and, you know, he's got good numbers and delivery in the golf play. He's a very good player. So, but what a lot of people struggle with is those lower strikes over spinning it or spinning it into the wind, those fairy woods with the adjustability and their low center of gravity. I think they're, they're incredible. I mean, I'm be very frank. I'm still using a sim titanium because it goes like stink and it's very hard to get out of my bag because of what they've done with that fairy. And I think it's very underrated what, what the fairy woods can do to a player's golf game when you, when you can pick up, 10, 15 yards. Victor Hovland still has that fairway win the bag too. I mean, there, there That's are some very good players. Was, didn't he get it out of his caddy or something? <laughs> I talked to his caddy about that. Yeah, that that's it was his caddies when he lost his clubs the week of uh, the week of century at Kapalua. And he needed a set to get going and he just borrowed his, he borrowed Shay's three wood. Yeah, it's a fun story. Anyway, um, all right. I got to know what is, take me back. What was your favorite? Oh, and I'll, I'm going to go through a couple of these because favorite driver growing up. Uh, 
Titleist 905S. So that was before the 905R, there was the 905S and the T. Uh, maybe maybe I'm probably over-explaining for you, but for the audience out there, uh, there was the 983 series, the K and the E. Then the 905 series came out, which was the S and the T. The T was the more pear-shaped. The S was the very deep-faced model. I always wanted an E, but never got one, which is like the previous deep-faced one. Ended up buying one years later for like 20 bucks out of a used bin, because that's what I do. But the S to me with, I think I had a, v, a Pro Force in it. It was like one of my favorite drivers. I just felt like it was kind of one of the first times I had a driver where I, I didn't spin it too, too much. And I could hit a hit more of a draw with it. I was always, let's call it a bit of a fade player. And it would seem like more biased to be a fade golf club, but because of the shorter heel toe, I actually found that it was easier to draw. And it was a club that I loved and I love the look of it as well. First podcast and he's already dropping Pro Force. We're going to get along <laughs> just just fine. Just fine. All right. Uh, <laughs> next, I would say, what about irons? Favorite set of irons growing up? Oh, um, you know, it, truth be told, it's probably like I2s. It was, one my, it was my first real set of golf clubs. I still have a, a huge affinity for the look of an, a set of I2 pluses, which was the the more modern version and a different sole design. It was, I just, I, I always thought it was like such a cool golf club. Uh, beyond that, I think my first set of, well, my first set of blades, which I'm trying to think what they were. I mean, you could say Ping S59s were technically blades. I had a set of those. I had a set of everything. But uh, that or, you know, J33 blades. If I have to go in two directions, I had a set of J33 blades, which were fantastic and also very, very hard to get in North America in general. But uh, I2s as a kid, I had that set for a very, very long time. And that's one of the things that taught me about Lyangle was their little color code. And that was just another little building block of my, my club building knowledge because I had to get them adjusted. They changed the color code. And I was like, wait, that's, that helps change ball flight. It did dramatic, uh, dramatically for me. And, uh, that's why I always have a huge affinity for those golf clubs. Yeah. You're talking about blades and I'm thinking, man, did I ever use a set of blades being a lefty is also difficult to find anything. Oh, that would have been close, a lot harder. The closest thing I think I ever came to was, was seven thirty one PMs. And that was, that was a blended set. I mean, those were cavity backs, the Mickelson irons from Titleist. They were cavities at the top and went into like a, it was always kind of like a tweener cavity. It looked like a blade in the back, but it had a kind of a, like a thumbprint impression. And then as it dropped down into the nine and pitch, it was a traditional blade. That's probably the closest I ever got. A lot of clubs that when, when you mention them, I'm like, oh yeah, that would have been one that I would have had on my list. But um, alas, being a lefty. Anyway, probably, last, that was probably one of the only real like lefty exclusive golf clubs. When that's you why think I loved them. Cool. Because, yeah, that's why I loved them was because they were a lefty exclusive and everybody would see them and they're like, oh man, those are great. Where can I find those? And it's like, well, unless you're left-handed, no dice. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. I want you to look into your crystal ball. What is the one area in the industry that you see the most growth for over the next 10 years? Talking drivers, golf ball, irons, where are you going? Well, the golf ball is an interesting question. We're going to see what happens with that in the next 10 years. Yeah, uh, that's true. Far, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, I still think it's irons. Like to me, optimizing iron, I can obviously mention Fairywoods there. Drivers is still about custom fitting. But for me, I think irons and gapping is something that, you know, I have a chance to talk to a lot of engineers, been been doing this for a long time. And the idea of properly gapping a set of golf clubs, or you see innovations, although, you know, you could say it works for one golfer, but single length or like variations in what a set, what, what, what is a set of golf clubs? Like that to me is always kind of the interesting question because I'm a, a self-professed uh, golf nerd, golf junkie. Uh, some people call me hipster golfer, whatever it happens to be. You got, you know, Sunday bags kicking around in the background. I was about here. to say, you, you kind of fit the profile with the bag behind you. Yeah. So with that, in like, I like going out with a half set. I like going out with persimmon clubs. I like going out with old blades. For me, like a set is what works for an individual. And I think the, like wedges is, is about spin optimization and it's hard to, you know, grooves are getting better. Like you know, tooling is getting better, grinds and all that fitting elements are getting there. But I think the idea of not, I call it combo sets or however you want to call it, but just gapping, like what does it mean to stop hybrids or fairy woods and, and uh, 
you know, hybrids to irons. Like what does that mean for individual golfers at different swing speeds, especially as golfers now are continue to get faster and stronger. I think that's where, you know, we see like Bryson has a very interesting set of golf clubs, but it works for him. Whereas other players, you know, using DJ, like DJ has a nine wood, how many nine woods out there like exist. And with the U S open coming up, how many more are going to go to more seven woods or nine woods, the evolving set of gapping, like to me and with irons, especially as they transition that middle part of the bag, that to me is where I think it's, it's always going to be this evolving what's really working. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to the, the golf ball and how it fits an individual golfer. Yeah. We could definitely go down a rabbit hole with some of the things you were discussing there. And I know we will because you're going to be a staple on the podcast going forward. Um, for those out there that are wondering, yes, Gene and Chris are still going to be part of the pod. We're going to figure out how to, how to make this all work, but we've got so many great voices now on this podcast that I, I think it would be silly for us not to continue continue forward and to, to figure out kind of how this dynamic is going to work. It's going to be a work in progress. I'm not going to lie, but I am really excited about having Ryan on board going forward. So you can be sure to catch him on golf.com. He'll be in golf magazine. He's going to be on our social feeds. He's going to be everywhere. So I know there are a lot of people out there that are excited to get his insights and you're now going to be able to get them here at golf.com. All right. Before we get into a couple of gear topics, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Full Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Rapsodo. The Rapsodo mobile launch monitor gives you all the metrics you want. Distance, ball speed, club speed, and launch angle, just to name a few. But where the MLM really shines is in the data visualization it can now provide. The Shot Tracer feature gives you video of your swing, plus a precise visualization of your ball flight and shot shape. The new distance shot dispersion feature has a visual overlay of every shot you hit on the range, color-coded for each club with pinpoint distance and accuracy. The MLM also gives you some really cool charts and graphs that can help you practice smarter, not longer. And as I've said, that is the name of the game. To really maximize your time and help you get the most out of your rain sessions. Use it indoors, use it outdoors. It's extremely portable. Build custom practice plans based on your strengths and weaknesses. Simply put, the MLM is one of your best launch monitors that you can get out on the market today. Go to repsoto.com backslash fully equipped and use the code fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D for $100 off your first purchase. That's repsoto.com backslash fully equipped using the code fully equipped. All right, RB. We got some, some fun topics to kick off for your very first pod. Let's start off with the one that I think probably got the juices flowing for both of us. So I hear rumblings. People start texting me on a Monday. I guess it was a Tuesday. I'm, I'm losing track because it was Memorial Day this week. So it was Tuesday and I get a text. Have you seen Adam Scott's Instagram account? Now, it's always kind of strange because Adam Scott, I'm... I'm positive he does not handle that account. He's got somebody who's posting photos and they do a really good job. They post tons of content all the time, but all I cared about was the most recent photo he had of a set of blades with his logo stamped on the back of the head. Now, the first thing that comes to mind when I see that with any like high level tour pro is the is like the running joke over the years with Tiger Woods. It was a, you know, Mira iron or a, you know, whatever Japanese brand iron stamped with, you know, another company's logo on it. And so the, my first question is, all right, it's Adam Scott's logo stamped on what brand of irons. And it didn't take Adam very long to let us know it is indeed a set of Mira irons. I want, I want your first reaction when you saw these, what were you thinking? I, I saw the little, uh, like the way that the Mira does the hosel with like the made in Japan and you could kind of see it in the background. I thought, Oh, I wonder if like, that's actually what they are. And then, you know, shortly after it came out and I thought, you know, my, my first reaction was one day I'd love to be as good as golf to have my own logo and then have someone put them in the back of a set of blades for me. Yeah. Uh, and my next, and my next, that was like, I would love to know the, the process that went into this because to me, that's the most fascinating part, especially when it comes to like, if, if you had the visual and you saw my workbench behind me, you would see rack and racks of iron chat, iron heads and iron sets underneath. I, I just love, 
I love the idea of what it goes into designing a set of irons because from pitching wedge to say three or four iron, they're all very different, but they all have to kind of be the same. And I think that's the most fascinating part. And for a player like Adam, who's basically played the same set of irons almost exclusively for 20 years, there has to be a lot of work that goes in to get something to visually look the way he wants because he's going to be picky. Just like uh, Maverick McNeil has those, those very, very custom Callaway irons, which I think look a lot like some old Nike stuff. And to me, it's the, what goes into it. I thought, oh man, I'd love to know like the backstory of like, why did he pick these? How did this come to like, who did he reach out? Did he call somebody? Like did, yeah. did, if you're Adam Scott, you just call someone up and be like, Hey, uh, this is what I'd like to do. Can I, can I get in touch with someone over there? So that to me is always the most fascinating element of it. But, uh, to see them and to be an owner of the a set of MB one Oh ones of the mirrors, I was like, they're definitely familiar. Like it's got the longer hosel, the blade is kind of there, but you can tell there are subtle differences in the shaping. And Adam is, you know, a lot of people are other than someone like JT, who's got some very custom irons as well, who doesn't have any offset. He likes offset. He likes chunky. He likes square, which is very old school, which I think is kind of cool. And that's something that obviously, you know, he got done with those irons. I wanted to take a quick break from this week's episode of Fully Equipped to let you know that this one is sponsored by Global Golf's new All About You campaign, which consists of the You Try, You Trade In, and You Select programs. The You Try lets you try brand new clubs and tech for two weeks, where, when, and how you want. Love it? Keep it. If not, send it back. The You Trade In provides the easiest way to help you get what's next for less, offering the best value for your gear as well as receiving credit towards a new purchase. And last but not least, the You Select, which is personalized recommendations from PGA professionals to help you find the best gear for your game. If you want to check out the You Try, You Trade, and You Select programs, go over to globalgolf.com. And with that, let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, Adam Scott's an interesting story when it comes to his gear because he's he's a titleist lifer. Last year, we snapped photos of a set of 101 uh, AS irons. And you that was around the same time that Justin Thomas had a, had a brand new set bearing his initials that, that came out. And you think about it and you go, all right, it makes sense. I mean, Adam, Adam Scott's a major winner. One of the purest ball strikers on the planet. I mean, you could argue he is, he's one of the best ball strikers in the history of the game. Makes sense. And then as soon as he gets these irons, we get word that he's parting ways with Titleist and he's going to do his own thing on the gear side, but he's going to still stay with the ball shoe and glove deal with Titleist. It's, it's an interesting one, but there was all of this, you know, everybody wondering what was Adam Scott going to do? Is he going to change irons? Is he going to change drivers? And he's, he's kind of, you know, the the lab putter was like the first big change that we saw from him, but these irons were a little bit surprising because it's like wow this this guy just had a one of one set of of Titleist irons made, but he's still looking for for something else, and lo and behold he ends up connecting with Mura to collaborate on these irons and it's actually got as you mentioned kind of what what's the backstory so I talked to Kevin O'Connell from Mura. And he admitted when he got a text from Adam Scott on Tuesday and it was a text that nobody was expecting. So they had shipped those irons to him at Muirfield this week, but they fully expected him to take them home. And he instead sends a text and says, hey, I'm going to test them out. Now, there's no guarantee and Mira knows this. I mean, he could play them on a Tuesday and pull them out on a Wednesday. They, you know, Kevin even said that to me, but he wanted to test them right away. And the reason why he linked up with Mira to create this set was because he saw, like a lot of gearheads did, he saw the collaboration between Nicholas and Mira when they created those complete one-off irons designed based on jack specs. And so Adam Scott, who is a gearhead, he, he's definitely a gearhead. And I know that he loves, he, he loves the history behind equipment he connected with Mira and it kind of started this dialogue where he starts saying, well, Hey, look, I really love the offset that Jack had in these irons because both Jack and Adam like additional offset in their blades. And they also like a longer blade length. 
And so a lot of the things that he was seeing in those, those Nicholas Mira collaboration irons, those ended up kind of helping start this dialogue of like, can we, can we build something? Yeah, we can build something. And so they, they designed these irons. Uh, from what I was told, this is the second set of prototypes that, that have gone through. Took about six weeks to make. And they're a little bit of a blend. As, as you mentioned, RB, they, they do look a lot like MB-101s. But, um, but Kevin actually told me this isn't just a simple situation where they took MB-101 blanks and just slapped Adam's logo on the back. You know, he wanted a little bit of a blend of the MB-101, but he also wanted that, that flatter sole that, that we see on these Nicholas Muir irons. And he also wanted the offset. He also wanted the blade length. So they sort of combined these two, the 101 and, and the Nicholas irons, and came up with this love child, which is this fully one-of-one one set of irons for Adam Scott. And We'll see if he plays them. I mean, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Pod drops on Thursday. So we should have a pretty good idea if Adam is playing the irons or not. But a lot of work went into these. This was not just a quick, oh, hey, we've got a chance to, to get irons in Adam Scott's hands. They they took their time. And and Adam was really particular. I guess he was also showing them photos of, of classic irons from the 90s, trying to kind of get some inspiration there. It's just fun to see some tour pros out there who geek out like you and I do. Yeah. I think that to me was the, like one of the coolest elements of like reading, reading what you wrote about that and kind of getting the inside information there was the, like what he was looking for in his set of golf clubs, because I don't know the, the, not the joke, but the, the conversation you hear from a lot of people is, Oh, a blade is a blade. Well, it couldn't be further from the truth because if you think of like blade length and, the like the way uh, masses moved around you can think of i i, I say again i have said these so it, it always kind of comes to mind is the the nike vapor pros so in theory at the time that was like that was a set of blade irons but the middle is a lot thinner because there's more mass heel and toe there's kind of that v-shaped cavity or the mm produce which a lot of people might know mm. uh, or kind of understand when they originally were launched right it was this very kind of unique looking golf club from the top, it looks like a blade. From the back, it doesn't look like a blade. But the MOI on that would be very different than a set of golf clubs where the mass is like right in the middle just because of the way it's positioned. So there's more mass on the toe. You're going to get a little bit more forgiveness. Or you have something like a pink blueprint, very small, tiny, tiny blade. And then you can look at other clubs that have slightly longer blade lengths, but they are still very much a, a blade golf club. And so that to me is always the interesting part of it. And I think a blade is not just a blade, just like a you know, four-door sedan isn't just a four-door sedan. Like a lot of companies make them, but they're all slightly different. They all offer different uh, technologies. They all offer different looks, different feels, different wheelbases, all these different like tiny design elements that, you know, someone else is going to prefer one over the other. And as you'll learn, or maybe you're already aware, like I use a lot of car analogies because I think from a design perspective, there's always this continuation, but there's this continuation and improvement. And then there's a lot of times there's references to older product as well, right? When you see like you know, things called tailor-made burner, for example, right? They brought the name back, just like, I guess, Dodge brought the charger back. So there's, there's all of these like kind of components that lead up to, you know, for someone like Adam, who's, who's been around for a very, very long time to look back at clubs and be like, when I was a kid, I like these. And if I have the opportunity, I'd love something that looks like this, but performs like this. And to be able to walk through and kind of cherry pick all your little options is, is pretty cool to know that, you know, he's that in tune to getting what he wants. Cause it shows that he's, he's still, grinding out there looking for performance and and looking for every edge because you know it's not just a i won't say it's not just a, like a, a job to him but it is it's like the idea of like i want something that's going to be just right for me because i want performance absolute best yeah so i had a guy reach out to me after the story dropped and he wanted to know just simply because adam wanted a longer blade length and more offset and his question was is there a benefit to, to playing a blade with a longer blade length, there's there a benefit to playing a blade with more offset. Um, you know, it's typically not things. I mean, Muri even admitted with, with a lot of their current irons, they're, they're taking offset out of the blades. 
And, and this is something that's decidedly old school. If, if, if somebody were to ask you that question, what would your response be? Why, why play a set of blades or what, if, are there any benefits to playing a longer blade length and more offset in a set of traditional muscle X? Offset is, is really a looks thing for a lot of players. I mean, you could say that there's a, there's a bit of a difference if like center of gravity relative to the hosel, like forward and back to, to maybe help with a little bit of extra height potentially. But, but blade length is relative, as I mentioned with the driver earlier, that the, the axis of rotation through the swing is the, sh- like, is the shaft. So the club head is rotating around the shaft. And just like anything else, the further you get away from that axis of rotation, the slower it wants to turn. So the shorter and shorter that you make that, the more easy it is for some players to control uh, face angle. So the longer the blade length, if he's, say, very more quick, through the body, like uh, his his rate of rotation is relatively quick. I'm geeking out here now. This is this is oh, I love it. What Keep going. <laughs> so the rate of rotation uh, will speed up the closer the the center of gravity is to the axis of rotation, which is the shaft. The further away it is, the more it's going to slow down. I think this is why someone who works the golf ball a ton, Bubba Watson, has always preferred a ping iron that has been very very short heel toe. I think it's why he's stuck with certain models for a period of time as they've added forgiveness into their S series for what, I mean, what it was at the time, he stuck with the less forgiving model because he wanted that workability. So for Adam, he might be someone who is looking for a particular shot shape or a particular feel. And if he got into a club where, you know, he's very good golfer, you get into that shorter blade length, all of a sudden, maybe he's starting to draw the ball a little more than he wants to, or he's seeing that a ball flight that he's not really getting the feel for that he wants. He's going to be very in tune into his swing. The longer blade length, the center of gravity further away from the shaft is going to slow that down. And it's probably going to help with his, his desired shot shape and just the feel that he expects from his golf clubs every time that he, he goes through the ball. And I, you know, those are the little things that when you're one of the best players in the world, you can do that and you can tell those differences. And I think that that really is the, as I've said past, right. Is uh, a blade. Isn't just a blade. I love it. I love that. You just went down that rabbit hole. Just didn't even think about it right down. All right. For the next topic, I want to let you know, fully equipped is brought to you by our good friends at golf pride and their CPX grip. Heard me talk about the CPX a whole bunch. What makes it different than a lot of the other grips out in the marketplace is the Exo Diamond quilted pattern that you can find on this grip. One of the great things about this pattern is very similar to what you'd find on the grips on a BMX bike. It's going to help reduce vibrations in your hands. Now that can be great for a number of different reasons. If you're playing on a day where it's chilly, not going to be chilly this time of the year, but just kind of like go with me and, and think, you know, fall, winter time, if you get a chance to play. You know, having a little bit of of extra cushion there is going to be great. It's not going to send those unwanted unwanted vibrations up your hands. It's also really good if you play a whole lot of golf. We've talked about, you know, steel shafts. They can fatigue your body. The longer you play, that's why you're usually pretty tired after 18. These grips can actually help you play longer. Maybe you get in 27. Maybe you get in 36. But more than anything, the Exo Diamond Quilted Pattern is going to help your game in a number of different ways. If you want to learn more about the CPX, go check it out on golfpride.com or go to your local retailer. All right. Well, why don't we go from one set of Adam Scott badged mirror irons to a set of new mirror irons. So we've got the new KM700s that just recently dropped. These things look... I don't, I guess I would say like they kind of have a mean look to them. The, the like stepping on, on the back in the muscle pad gives it, gives it a really edgy look in my opinion. Unfortunately, um, being a lefty, I can just look at them. That's the beauty of, of being a righty and getting a chance to get these in your hands. And Oh, by the way, RB, you got a chance to hit these and look at them. I want first impressions what stands out to you? And then what was the, what was the time on the range like with these? So it's uh, it's very much, I would say new school versus old school because they have a, uh, a noticeably higher toe. That's a little bit sharper, For which, sure. uh, you know, I, as a, as a collector of, sorry, as a collector of old irons, the, the idea of a, a high toe that's a little sharper looks like some old, like 
Walter Hags that I have, which is the, a sub, which was a sub brand of Wilson, you know, back in the, I guess, sixties. So <laughs> you just, yeah, I got a lot of, you're going, you're going of way back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with like having those and seeing those, I thought, Oh man, it's, it's like, it has that look, but you know, the big difference between a lot of those old clubs versus the new stuff is there's some camber to the sole. There's some bounce, uh, definitely has a wider sole. I think the, the, like the non-symmetrical look on the bottom is really neat because I think people assume that a golf club needs to be symmetrical. You know, if you look at, I always think the original SL, not SLDR, sorry, the original SIM, when you first saw it, like that thing on the bottom wasn't symmetrical to the rest of the head. And you're like, that seems kind of, it looks kind of odd originally. But once you get it, like you realize that there's a performance benefit to it. And for this too, like the turf interaction, I thought was really good. That's always my first thing with an iron is how steep can I get into the ball and how quickly does it get out of the turf? And to me, I, that was something that I really liked. And even that, uh, you know, having a set of one uh, ones to compare it to, they, I know they talk about it is like the way the hosel transitions, which you don't see from the top, but you see from the, when you hold it up is the way the hosel transitions into the sole actually makes it. So there is less resistance into the turf. So for me, I think that's one of those things where performance through the ground is really good. It also looks really good. And for a club that is a forged, like forged piece of metal, single piece of metal, it gets the ball up pretty quick, which I, I think is pretty neat. Cause I was, I was trying them out and I, I was able to go out and play nine holes with a friend of mine. I had a couple sitting in the bag. It's like, I never really hit a four, like a blade before. And it's, you know, it's blade looking because wow, these are pretty easy to hit. And, you know, as someone who is in a different handicap range to have that feedback, I thought was pretty cool. Cause I, you know, I didn't expect to have that. You just saw it in the bag and you wanted to hit it. And so I really like them. It's like old school meets new school with, which feels great as well. What? And I asked this to, I asked this to Chris and I want to know what you think. What kind of a handicap range would you get on these? Because this is the that was the very first question I got when when we posted photos of these new irons was, can I hit these? And I was getting that from everybody from a you know a seven to a fifteen. What do you think? Where what kind of a handicap range would you say if if you're kind of within this range, you're you're good to at least test these irons? I. This is a fun one because uh, this kind of goes against the idea of like handicap reigning uh, golf clubs. It always comes down to swing mechanics and, you know, you could be a scratch golfer, but if you swing your, say your seven iron, maybe you hopefully you play the right tees. If you swing your seven iron or six iron at low or high seventies, maybe not the club for you to create launch and spin. But uh, I would say anyone up to like a 15 with, with a decent amount of speed is, is not going to have a huge issue with something like this golf club when properly fit and, you know, maybe up to a five iron instead of going to the four iron or maybe going to the six iron. So uh, there's, I don't think there's a lot of players that really should be scared of this. You know, when you get into the, the larger cavity back iron in, in the Mira line, for example, then you're looking at, you know, if you're over 15, you can be very comfortable. Uh, but I would say really comfortably, probably thir- 12 or 13 and down would have, would have absolutely no issue with this at all going to make a lot of people very happy because I, I think it just yeah it's just um handicap in irons is something that is uh it, it really f- kind of it puts a demographic into a set of golf clubs which i don't think is always necessarily the best case scenario because you've got players on tour for example using larger cavity back irons at this point right i think harry higgs uses 770s which is yeah. you know a, a larger set of clubs and then you know, there are four or five handicaps who will swear by blades and they won't change. And, you know, they perform really well. So for this, as an example of, I would, I would put in the category of a, of a smaller to mid-sized forged cavity back, a little bit of offset that, that weight and mass out on the toe, 12, 13, 14, give them a try. Don't think you're going to have any problems. All right. Well, that was a fun one. We, I, I'm, the one thing that I will say is we didn't do a whole lot. We did a little bit last year. We did some first person when it came to new gear, but I think we're going to do a lot more of that this year. RB and I are going to hit some more product. I got to get back to just getting out on the golf course. I've been so bad about yeah, life gets in the way. And I've, I've said that plenty of times on this pod, but I just got to get out and hit balls. I I'm, I'm terrible. And I've even got a launch monitor, man. I got, I got a really nice four side GC quad just sitting in the, uh, the golf closet collecting dust. It only comes out for, uh, for club test lives. I was thinking about that when we were in Tulsa. I was like, when was the last time that I used this? That's probably not a good thing. 
I've got a golf net put up in my garage. I've been using it all winter. So if you, if you ever need to get that thing, some, uh, some reps in by all means, I'm just, just a FedEx truck away. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Last topic. And this is one that I wasn't even sure we were going to discuss, but I just, I feel like it's probably one where I, I want to go on record here and, and get our takes. So live golf it's now officially a thing. It has a field. The first Live Golf Invitational is going to have a field of 42 players. And there were some interesting names on there. And I don't want to get into the, to the, you know, the whole thing behind Live Golf. What I'm curious about is something you and I talked about off air, which is what, what is going to happen with all the sponsorship deals? I mean, this, this is a very interesting topic. I don't think it's gotten a lot of, a lot of, you know, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about it, but what happens with the main, what happens with the equipment manufacturers? I mean, Dustin Johnson, um, Martin Keimer, Kevin Na, Sergio Garcia. I mean, there are some notable names in here. It does make you wonder. I mean, I think you had mentioned RBC had dropped or you had noticed that RBC had dropped a couple of notable guys. One of them I know was DJ, but I just I wonder if we're gonna just see a whole bunch of guys showing up with with blank shirts for this event. I I think it's gonna be interesting because there is we've already seen uh, sponsor repercussions from I believe UPS was no longer on the shirts of Lee Westwood and uh, Lou Eustazen, so yeah. that was an uh, like a news drop, and then RBC from Graham McDowell and uh, DJ on the sleeve. Being Canadian, you know, a lot of the being the Canadian Open coming up and, and being opposite of that event. A lot of people in Canada, like follow social, like the people that follow on social media are like Canadian golf media. That was a topic of discussion. Like, what, like, when is this going to drop? Like, we're going to get news about this somehow, one way or the other. And I, I feel like they're, because they haven't even discussed like teams and uniforms and hats. Like, if, if you have to wear a team hat, like you're at the Olympics, like, does, a, does an OEM find value? in sponsoring a player do you need team bags like all of these things that they really haven't discussed there's is stuff that's really still up in the air i think that looking at it from a like just from the equipment side of things from an exposure side of things this is they don't have a network tv deal they don't have a at least from what we've heard so far the and there's no tour support right like the the, that's the other question how these do these companies guys have, get serviced if if they need if they or if they want to test drivers or they need a fresh set of wedges or or putters not working? What goes on there? Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of curious how that's going to work because the you know the European Tour already has like a small support compared to the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour is is where all these things are scheduled to like all the vans are scheduled to go. I know even you know crossing the border in, into Canada during the Canadian Open is always something that few vans do because they have to inventory and they have to do the cost analysis and they have to do all these different things that, that makes it to be honest, a real pain in the butt. So being able to you know what that, what that logo is worth on someone's hat, if you have to wear something else, but I mean, by the, by the sounds of it, there's a lot of money that is going to probably surpass the value of a lot of what these sponsorships can be worth in, in most cases. So, you know, there was this, I don't want to call it the golden age, but when Nike left, there was this big, huge open space of free agents for a long time. Brooks Kepka and I believe I want to say Fina was there for a bit. And there was just a lot of players that and were Fleetwood. in this space. Fleetwood, another one. Exactly. Yeah. So there were all of these, uh, Paul Casey, who still happens to be a free agent. Um, all of these players were kind of left with left to their own devices when it came to choosing equipment. And, it doesn't mean if you got the best players in the world, they're not going to be serviced. They're not going to have access to equipment, but it's just how are you going to get their lie lost? Like, is there a van out there? Who do they trust? You know, that that's always kind of the interesting thing about this. And so no, I'm not, I'm not cheering for anyone to have repercussions. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a bystander to, to find out what's going to happen like everybody else. But if they have to wear team hats when they pick these teams and, and do this event, no, I can see that they're not companies not seeing value in, in, you know, that's the biggest, one of the largest sponsorship deals is what's on these players' hats. And if, if you can't own that real estate, then it's not really worth anything. Yeah, I totally agree. I, again, that's, it's a, it's a sub story to, to the bigger story, but it is one that I'm certainly tracking, trying to, 
trying to do a little bit of digging, but as you uh, are probably not surprised, nobody's really talking just quite yet, but it's going to come <laughs> no, out. It's, it's going to come much. out soon enough. I mean, we're, we're going to get guys over there and, and they're going to have to figure it out and they're going to have to have somebody to help service the gear. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they end up being just like the LPGA. I mean, the LPGA, there are a couple of OEMs that have dedicated reps that are out there, but then they also have Paul Bamer, who is the LPGA's tech, and he basically services all the players that don't have a dedicated rep. I mean, maybe you just have to have somebody out there who is working on a whole bunch of different brands. I can tell you that it takes a lot of patience to be able to go through. Paul, I remember when I did a story on him, he had like a binder full of specs for all the different OEMs. And so he was just, I mean, by that point in his, in his career, he was well-versed and he could pretty much do it without the binder, but it's, it's daunting for whoever would have to take on that role. But maybe that's, maybe that's what you have to end up doing is, is a dedicated tech who helps everybody out. If you got 42 guys I, in the field, might not be that bad. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of those interesting things where like my, my background is, was working at a, and you know, same with TXG as well, like a brand agnostic club building fitting facility is way different than working for a custom shop of one OEM. Like you have to understand bottom board of ground and tipping and head weights and all of these different uh, elements of components that come together to build a set of irons because everything reacts slightly differently. How do you get a fairy wood to perform like this? Or how do you get that hybrid that's going to work with a tip or this tip is different or this size is different or uh, was is it taper? Is it parallel? All of these different things. For me, it became like second nature just to know like, okay, it's this OEM, you need this tipping, this head weight is probably for this three wood, it's probably going to play at this length, maybe it needs to be hot melted or whatever it is. All of those things kind of get in there and they don't really go anywhere, <laughs> or at least for me. But that is the difference when you have these these dedicated vans, like they can go into a, a ping van and the ping has this very cool special Lyloff machine, which is, if you haven't seen it, folks, it is fascinating to see it it's it's done by uh, fascinating cameras. to who fascinating to you and to me but <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> fascinating to club nerds who, who are most like most used to seeing like this thing just mounted to the ground and you plug it in and you just you know you move the little lever here and there uh, the way their system works is, is pretty fascinating with the cameras and that's why uh, it is what it like it, that's kind of why it works the way it does and it's it's pretty cool but uh yeah, I think that's going to be the question is, are they going to have their clubs ready to go and then just not be serviced? But uh, that that will be, it's, it's a storyline to follow because I think it's 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 something to watch for sure. Yeah, it, it most definitely is. And like I said, we're not going to have to wait too much longer. It took it took what felt like an eternity to finally get a, a field list. And it's not near as impressive as people thought, but I would certainly say that Dustin Johnson being on there is, is the big surprise because I know DJ had been, saying that he was, you know, he was being coy, but then he eventually said that he wasn't going to go and he ends up being, being there. I know the money's good. Anyway, I feel like that's a good place to stop for episode 143, RB's first pod. That was fun, man. Very spirited conversation. A lot of things that we got through in just about an hour. We'll do it again next week. All right. If you want that gear news, as always, you can check us out on social media. We are at Full Cup Golf on Instagram and at fully underscore equipped on Twitter. And oh, by the way, I think we might be seeing RB over there. Hopefully our social media handles need some help. And I think he's the one who's going to sprinkle some pixie dust on those and get them rocking. Thanks all for listening. See you next week.